Christmas story is that God, because he was driven by and compelled by love, sent Jesus Christ to this earth. And even though that story is 2,000 plus years old, it never gets old to me. I'm thankful today for the love of Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful today for the love of the Lord? Let's, come on, let's just give the Lord praise today if we're grateful for that. I ask you to reach for your Bibles this morning, please, and go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you don't mind, please, today. I want to read verse number 7 to us today, and if the Lord will help me, I, I really don't want to preach long this morning, because I just, I really feel today like the Lord wants to minister uh, to some people and to some needs that are present in this place this morning, so I want to be sensitive to that today. Uh, verse number seven is part of what we know as the Christmas story. We read out of Matthew during this time of the year, Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we talk about the Christmas story. Then Luke chapter 2, again, we find some of what we call the Christmas story. But one verse today speaks of Mary, and here's what it says. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. That is a well-worn verse. We find ourselves reading and reflecting and even reminiscing over that particular passage of Scripture quite frequently during this time of the year. I love the season. I love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas story. I love the Christmas songs that we sing and all that comes with it. But I've just been so convinced and convicted in my heart just the last several weeks that if we're not careful we'll get stuck at the story and miss the significance of the story and all that goes along with it. So I want to just preach for just a few moments today because I really sense the Lord been dealing with my heart the last few days to pray for some of you and just to minister to some of you in these altars this morning. So let's bow just for a moment of prayer and ask the Lord to do His work and accomplish His will, His way. Father, I thank You today, God, for Your Word. I thank you for the presence and I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that I am sensing in this moment right here, God. Lord, I just ask that for these next few moments as I preach to these people and share with them just a few things you've laid upon my heart, God, that it will create an atmosphere, Father, that is conducive for the power of God to be manifested and displayed and demonstrated in this place today. 
I pray in a few moments when we come to this altar, God, and we lay hands on people today and pray for them. God, I believe you're going to do your work this morning. I believe bodies are going to be healed and minds are going to be touched. God, things are going to happen supernaturally. God, not because of a man or a song or anything else, but because of your power and your presence. Lord, I love you today, and I'm anticipating what you want to do in our time together these next moments that we have. We love you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you today for your help for the ministry of music. We arrive at this time of the season every year, Brother Turpin, with great expectation, anticipation, and hope that it's just going to be a time of the year and a season of the year that is better than the one before. We will sit down in my house prior to opening gifts, and we will take a few moments and read the Christmas story. We will offer to God a prayer of thanksgiving and gratitude for the provision that He has given to us so we can celebrate Christmas Day. We understand that it's not about gifts, it's not about trees and tinsel and stockings and Santa Claus and everything else that comes along with this season. We understand that it's about Jesus the Christ. And as we wade our way through the Christmas story, it's okay for us to stop at the manger and to admire and to adore the baby, the Christ child in the manger. It's okay to stop at the manger, but I'm afraid that some of us through the years, if we're not careful, we have gotten stuck at the manger. And we stay at the manger instead of moving beyond the manger. Now make no mistake about it. It was an amazing night when the Christ child came. It was indeed significant when they laid him in that feeding trough for animals. It was an incredible moment when his virgin mother wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in that manger. But I am of the opinion this morning that there is so much more that happens beyond the manger. There is so much more to Christ than just the manger. Now make no mistake about it. We cannot get beyond the fact that Jesus was a baby in the manger. But beyond that, he was a child in the temple. He was a man on this earth. He was the sacrifice who was hanging on a cross. He was the resurrected one who came up out of the grave. 
And he is our soon coming king that is indeed returning in the clouds to take his children home. But I've been interested this, just this week, not about the baby, not about the child, not about the sacrifice on the cross or the resurrected one from the tomb or even the king that's coming back. That's all wonderful and amazing, but I've been drawn to Jesus the man who for 33 years he lived on this earth, wrapped in humanity but clothed in divinity. 33 years. He walked this earth. And if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find that some of his greatest ministry happened during these 33 years of living on this earth. Jesus the man became Jesus the miracle worker. The Bible tells us in Acts 10 and 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Ghost, and with power, who went about doing good and healing all manners of sickness and disease and all those who were oppressed of the devil. Do you realize that, that every single part of the earthly ministry of Jesus was all about people? It was about people. It was about their needs. And regardless of who the individual was, Jesus always met every single need that people had in their lives. If you look through the Scriptures, you'll find that, that many of the miracles that Jesus performed came because of the power of His spoken Word. He would just say, go, be healed, and it would happen. But, but I was interested this week and drawn to some of the stories in the Gospel that revealed to us that many of the needs that Jesus met came because of His touch. There was something about the touch of Jesus that could take someone that was dead and bring them back to life. Something about his touch that would cause blind eyes to open. Something about his touch that would change every single situation and every single circumstance. It was the power of his touch. And if we're not careful... We'll get to the manger and we'll stop there and just view him as just a cute, cuddly little baby. And we'll miss the fact that he was a powerful and is a powerful miracle worker that is able to do what man cannot do. If you look at the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels. Those four books contain the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Permit me for just a few brief moments this morning to take you through each gospel and just give you an example of the touch of Jesus and what it did in people's lives in the book of Matthew chapter 8. 
The Bible reveals to us a story of a leper. A man who was ostracized and an outcast from humanity and from the community in which he lived because of his disease. But one day he comes running to Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole and you can cleanse me from this dreaded disease. And the Bible tells us that Jesus said, I am willing, and he does something that struck me this week. It said that he reached out his hand, Brother Turpin, and he touched that leper. You understand that, that tradition and rule and religion of the day forbid anybody to come in contact with a leper. They had their own leper colonies that they lived in, Brother Stout. They were ostracized and they were outcasts from society, could have no dealing with the public. But when that man encountered Jesus and requested of him to do a miracle, he didn't speak a word that day. He reached his hand out and he touched that infected man. And the Bible says that when that happened, immediately that leper was made whole and he was cleansed. What was it, Pastor? It was the power of the touch of the Lord. If you go into the book of Mark, and I promise you I'm preaching very short because I just feel compelled for some folks that need the Lord to touch them. The book of Mark, there's two stories in Mark chapter 5. There is the story of a lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years, the Bible said, some kind of what they believe was an internal hemorrhaging for 12 years, James Hanks. The Bible tells us she had been to every doctor she could possibly go to. She had spent every single dime that she had to try and get well. And no matter what they prescribed her, no matter what remedy they suggested to her, nothing seemed to work. But one day she heard that Jesus was coming near the place where she lived. You can read the account in Matthew, you can read the account in Mark, and you can read the account in Luke. And the Bible says that as Jesus was walking down the road, there's this great multitude of people that are pressing in on him. As a matter of fact, he is headed to a ruler of the synagogue's house, a man by the name of Jairus, because his 12-year-old daughter is lying sick at the point of death. And as this great multitude travels with him, the Bible says this lady who had been bleeding for 12 years, the Bible said she had spent all she had, grew numb the better, but rather grew worse, the King James Version says. When she heard that Jesus was coming to her city, onto her block, and into, onto her street, and in her neighborhood, the Bible says that she got down and she began to press her way through that crowd. Because here's what she said, if I could just 
touch the hem of his garment. If you study that out, theologians and historians will tell us that he had this robe with these tassels on here. And she was simply saying, if I can just touch one string from one tassel, I know that I will be made whole. I know that I will be made well. And as she pressed her way through the crowd that day, the Bible said she reached out and she touched the hem of his garment. Bible said that Jesus stopped. And he looked around and he said, Who touched me? And Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, you see the multitudes that are pressing in on you. There's all kind of people touching you. Lord, how can you say who touched me? He said, No, I felt virtue. I felt power come out of my body. There was something different about this touch. Who touched me? And he turns around and there's that sick lady. No doubt I believe she was probably ashen in her appearance and her look, bleeding somewhere for 12 years. It's a wonder she wasn't dead yet. And there she is trembling and afraid, and cowering down. And he says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In Matthew 8, he touches a leper. But in Mark chapter 5, somebody touches him that results in him touching them. And there is a touch of faith There is a cry of faith that will capture the heart of the Father that will cause Him to reach His hand down and to touch your life and to touch your body. In that same story in Mark 5, there's a man who works in the synagogue. His name is Jairus. His 12-year-old daughter lies sick on a bed. Matter of fact, before Jesus could get there, she has died. She has passed away. He walks to the house, walks into the room. Mourners have filled the room. There's weeping. There's crying. People are beside themselves. Jesus walks in and says, why are you crying? The little girl is not dead. She's sleeping. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. And the Bible said when he had put them all out of the house, he put doubt out, he put unbelief out, he put negativity out, he put skepticism out, and he took some faith-filled disciples with him into that room. He reached out, he touched that little girl's hand and said, little girl, I say unto you, arise. And at that moment, that little preteen sat up, rubbed her eyes and said, mama, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. In Mark chapter 5, you've got a generation represented 
an older woman with a 12-year flow of blood who reached out and touched him and something supernatural happened. You keep reading. You've got another generation representing a little 12-year-old girl who was touched by him and something happens. Here's the point. Your pastor's trying to get through to you today. If you'll reach out and touch him, there is no need so great. There is no sickness so bad. There is no need too high that God cannot reach his hand down and touch you and heal you and deliver you and set you free. Hallelujah. It's not just the baby in a manger. It is Jesus, the miracle worker, the man walking, living, breathing, talking on this earth. Every person he came into contact with, he touched. In the book of Luke, chapter 4, there's a verse of Scripture in verse 40 that says to us that when the sun was setting, the Bible said that all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. Here's what the Bible said. And he laid his hands on them and healed them. All those. The people would bring to him the multitudes of those who were sick, who were ailing. The Bible said that he would come and he would lay his hands on them and he would touch them and he healed every single one of them. What was it, Pastor? It was his touch. And then in John chapter 9, Pastor Tony, I want you to come, please. I want you to do, this, do that song that, we, that I asked you about yesterday, please. In John chapter 9, there is the story of a man who was born blind from his mother's womb. The Bible says that Jesus... Seeing this man born blind. Walking with his disciples. And they also witnessed that this man was born blind. And they said, who did sin, Lord, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, none of them. Nobody sinned here, but he was born blind that the works of God might be made manifest in him. So we get this, or we have this theology. Just because there's a trouble or a trial or a sickness or disease in our life that, that we, 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 we go back to the fact that, well, there must be some kind of unconfessed sin or something we did in our past. That's, that's not the kind of God that I serve. He said none of them did. But that the works of God might be made manifest in and the Bible records what I believe are some of the, I think they're humorous words. Now, the, the King James is very proper when it gives us the detail of what's happening here. But I prefer to read a little different version or translation because it tells us that Jesus spit on the ground. 
and he's going to take that spit and he's going to make this clay. The Bible calls it clay. I'm going to tell you what I believe was. It was a good old-fashioned mud pie, Kenny Hancock. Now, I don't mean to be gross here because it's getting close to lunchtime. <clears throat> but if you're going to make dry dirt become clay-like and muddy, it's going to take more than a little spit. Now, see, it's hard to imagine the Savior just hawking a big old loogie. I don't know any other way to describe that. That was terrible. That wasn't very good. That's the best way I know to describe it. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Now watch this miracle here. While he's going to reveal his humanity by spitting in the mud, he's going to reveal his divinity by healing the man. I've got this long list of questions to ask Jesus when I get to heaven. If I can remember, I'll probably be so overwhelmed by the glory and the splendor of it all. But I want to know about that story. Lord, tell me, how much saliva did you produce to make that clay? I mean, he spits on the ground. And he makes this, the Bible calls it clay. It was just a mud pie. And then it takes a, it uses a holy word or something dirty, he takes the mud pie and he anoints the man's eyes. Anybody want to have an anointing service sometime? And I'll just break, break out all the mud and dirt I can find. You see the humanity there? Here's what he says. He takes the mud. So to anoint his eyes, Brother Stout, he had to touch them. He didn't throw it in his face, but he smears it across his eyes. You see the touch? And says, go to the pool of Siloam, which by translation means sent. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. As the man goes to the pool of Siloam and takes that water and washes that spit-filled mud off of his eyes, the Bible says he comes back seeing. was it, Pastor? It was his touch. There's something about the touch of Jesus. I mean, I can come by and pray for you, and my physical hand can touch you, but not my touch. It's his touch. And I've prayed for people before in my 20 years of ministry, and I've witnessed some miracles, but had nothing to do with me. It's his touch. There's some people in here today, I'm, I know by way of facts, that need the touch of God upon your life and need God to touch your body. I want to tell you, he's able today. And see, if we stop at the manger, what a tragedy. We all like a cute baby, don't we? I mean, I love to hold little babies and make them laugh and coo, and I even make some of them cry sometimes. 
I like to give them back, too, when I'm done. <clears throat> we all love a baby, don't we? Cute and cuddly, especially when they ooh and they ah and they do. That's wonderful. But that's not who Jesus is. That's who he was for a time. <laughs> but the baby grew up. And the baby became a powerful man that walked this earth. And with his touch, performed signs and wonders and miracles and healed and set free and delivered. I don't know where you are today, but I'm telling you, one touch can change it all. One touch trumps a doctor's report. One touch trumps every time what an MRI says or a CT scan shows. Oh, I appreciate doctors. We even have some that attend this church. I appreciate people in the medical profession. But I'm telling you, a touch from God can outdo a medical doctor any day of the week. One touch. Don't get stuck at the manger. Don't get stuck there. There's more. There's more to the manger. So much more beyond the manger. I wish I had time today to really preach about Jesus. There's something about Him. There's something about Him. I'm just going to do this because I just feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to do this today. Do you realize that if you open up every book in this Bible right here, every book, and you go through every book, Old and New Testament, and turn the pages, you find a picture of Jesus. Do you realize that? In Genesis, He's the seed of woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. How might I get through this? Because I might run through those back doors out on the Bob White Boulevard. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like a, unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's the judge and he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, he's our Lord and King. In First and Second Chronicles, he's our reigning King. And Ezra, he's our faithful spouse. And Nehemiah, he is the builder of broken down walls. And Esther, he's our Mordecai. And Job, he's our redeemer. And Psalms, he's our Lord and shepherd.
In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our lover. In the Song of Solomon, he's our beloved and he is our fair one. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he is the balm of Gilead. In Lamentations, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful, four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in the midst of the fire. In Hosea, he's our faithful husband. In Joel, he's the Holy Ghost baptizer. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he's God's foreign missionary. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's our Savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's ancient paths. In Zechariah, he is the fountain that is open to the house of David. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the Son of God. In Acts, he is the foundation of the church. In Romans, he is our justifier. In Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he redeems us from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ with unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he supplies all of our need. In Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of an everlasting covenant. In James, he is our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is our chief shepherd. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with 10,000 of his saints. And in Revelation, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. He is the first and He is the last. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is Jesus Christ. And I love Him today. Stand up on your feet all over this building, please.